G'day everyone, my name is Tom Craig and you're listening to my podcast, The Help Side, where we speak to some of the most recognisable names in world hockey and get an insight into who they are, what they're about and what makes them tick. Now if you like what you hear, feel free to follow our socials at The Help Side on Twitter, Instagram and Facebook and be sure to like and subscribe to this podcast so you don't miss an episode. We'd absolutely love that. Now frankly, I'm pumped to share today's interview with you because he's a pretty big fish and possibly one of my most admired athletes across any sport. Now, if you've listened to previous episodes of The Help Side, you'd know his name as he's a popular answer for the question, best player ever played against. Today's interview is with dual Olympic gold medalist and 2012 FIH World Player of the Year. It's the ex-German international and ex-German captain, Moritz Furster. In the decade before his retirement in 2016, few players on the international circuit commanded as much influence on the game than Mo, whether it be scoring penalty corners, breaking the game open through the midfield, penetrating opposition defence with his pass, or simply imposing his presence with his voice. He was one of those players that opposition teams just could not miss. Over the next two parts of this interview, Mo offers incredible insight into the culture of German hockey and what makes it unique. Mo's take on sports psychology and his approach to leadership and Olympic success are as interesting as they are powerful, and you won't want to miss them. In this part A of the interview, we start by reminiscing old times during the Hockey India League before moving on to a discussion about some of Mo's most memorable hockey moments, including that victory over the Kookaburras in the 2012 Olympic semi-final, which he credits as being one of the greatest games in which he's ever played. This is Hockey Royalty, folks. Please enjoy the help side of... Moritz Furster. This could be the last chance for Germany. Furster into the back of the net. Germany have saved themselves from two goals down, and it's two goals from their captain, Moritz Furster, that sends the German fans into overdrive. Germany then with a chance to take the lead at half time. It is Furster from the top, goes high and beats George Pinner, beats Baron Middleton, and Germany have the lead going in here at half time. All right, we're back uh, online, back to the video podcasts. Very special guest, superstar of the modern era, and my first German guest, Moritz Furster, joins me from Hamburg, I believe. How are you, man? That's true. Hey, Tom, thanks for having me. <laughs> No problem at all. Interesting, interesting, interesting uh, way to meet again. Absolutely. Well, the last time I saw you was, um, they were pretty good circumstances, actually. That was, I was pretty fresh. You were probably pretty tired. The final of the HIL. <laughs> that was a big payday for you. That was, yeah, it could have, it could have been better. Actually, it, I forgot about that. It could have been better. What happened again? So, uh, if I remember... They so with a second to go, basically, we got the last, that last corner, mm. and uh, so they had this rule that field goals counted two, right? You remember, yeah, yeah, and yeah. uh, and short corners counted one. So, uh, I think Glenn, so uh, uh, Turner, yeah, um, was the leading goal scorer with I, I don't remember, but something like let's say 12 goals, yeah. So he scored six field goals, counted 12. And uh, I think I scored 11 short corners. So, and then with like a, a minute to go, not even, we had got this last corner leading 3-1. And I remember us thinking up front, what shall we do? Shall we flick it? Because if we miss, 
they could on a counter attack still score a goal for two goals and then it's mm. a draw. So if we just don't flick it and keep the ball in the corner, then we win. And and we thought about that. I remember that. And but then I flicked it and we scored it. And so I scored my twelfth goal as well. And then they but they decided that we're on um on top goal scorer list. So we shared the prize for top goal scorer. And then they decided that there was this discussion about who's going to be the player of the tournament, which was the real big check, right? <laughs> and then they decided that they won't give one uh, a player two prizes. So they came to me and said, oh, if you hadn't scored that last corner, then you might have gotten that check. And in the end, so I didn't want top scorer because I shared it with Turner. <laughs> and I didn't get best player. But anyway, that was, that's just, I mean, it was a, it was a great day anyway. It was classic. That was good. That was against um, Mumbai, I, sorry, I believe. I have to sometimes yeah. do stuff here. Oh yeah, that's fine. That's fine. Do whatever you need to do. Um, yeah, that was yeah, that was that, that was Mumbai. Was, that was good. That was a good tournament. You're playing starting point basically in the senior world, I believe, right? <laughs> kind of. My starting point, you probably wouldn't remember, <laughs> was when later. my my starting point was when we both got sent off in Bhubaneswar. That was my starting point. I don't <laughs> yeah. know if you do you remember okay, that? Okay, that was that was earlier. Yeah, of course. That was in Bhubaneswar when you tried to provocate. How you say that? <laughs> you, and, uh, you, were, you were trying to be played really strong with 15 years or something like that. I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty sure you took a dive from memory. I was just standing there, just marking, like minding my own business, and then you ran into me and dived, and then we both got sent out. That's how I remember it. Well, that sounds more likely, I guess. <laughs> but I do remember actually after that game. Um, you came up after the yeah after the game. We were shaking hands because it was a pretty good game actually. I think we lost three one, um, and you guys were pretty red hot. But after the game, you, you came up and you said, "Oh, it was a three two? Okay." And you said, uh, "You've got a lot to learn, a lot to learn." And I remember thinking, "I was so <laughs> mad. I was I was so mad in that moment." Uh, anyway, but it was true. I've got a lot to learn and hopefully you can, you can teach me a little bit more today. Sounds like, sounds like me. Yeah. I'm sorry about that. Yeah, that's okay. my moment. That's okay. It was a, it was a good game and you guys won. So congrats Thank you, on, uh, on, on winning the tournament. Um, so you're out of the game now. Yeah, we were three nil. We were oh, three yeah. nil up. At, we were three nil up in that game. And then, yeah. And then came, was it three nil? Sorry. Yeah. Jeez. Up in that game. And then you came back pretty strong yeah. to three, two. That was the Bubanesha champions. Yeah. yeah, and we and we we had to win that tournament because we completely fucked up the World Cup that yeah. year. So everyone in, uh, back home was like, "Okay, this cannot happen again. We have to we have to play well at the Champions Trophy." And we went with a really young team, so that was a really important win for us in the build up to whatever followed after. Yeah, true. And I think you were missing. Um, I think Toby Hauker was injured, wasn't he, at the time? So you were the. It was a really young team. We remember that. And it was pretty much you playing. No, he was playing. Was he? Are you sure? Yeah, we had three senior. We, we had three senior players, but Toby was one of them. Yeah. Okay. Gotcha. And the rest was under twenty ones. At Champions Trophy, do you remember um, the Pakistan beat India? Do you remember that? Yeah, I remember a lot about that Champions Trophy because, as I just said, it was pretty important for us from a from a rebound perspective after the the really bad World Cup. Mm. Um, and yeah, that, that was crazy. And I don't know if you remember that before the final, uh, when the Pakistanis won the semi semi-final against India, 
So they were throwing the finger at the crowd and uh, two, two of their players got suspended. And the final, because um, we bet you guys in that game that we were just talking about in the semis. So uh, we played Pakistan in the final and this was like, it was unbelievable. It was like being an Indian team. The crowd was, they were screaming for us. They, they went nuts the same way they went nuts, go nuts for India during normal games. Mm. It was really, really interesting. It was basically impossible for Pakistan to win that game <laughs> because they were playing against 17,500 people. And I remember at the, at the standing at the, for the national anthems and um, when the, Indian, uh, the Pakistani anthem came up, the crowd was throwing a finger and screaming and shouting and they, you couldn't hear the national anthem of Pakistan. It was, that was intense. That was really intense. I actually, so um, we were watching that game on the sideline, right? Because we just played India in the third, um, in the bronze medal match. And at yeah. halftime, no joke, um, because there must have been like a verbal altercation between the Pakistani players and some Indian fans outside. So I don't know if you noticed, but at halftime, some of the Pakistani guys yes. were actually trying to get up into the crowd to like fight the, the Indian crowd or something like that. It was completely mental. So there was like this, um, this like ruckus in that, like under the the stadium, you know, that kind of pitch alongside Bhubaneshwar. And the Indian guards and the Pakistani players were like pushing and shoving. And it was just, it was like, that was the most mad tournament ever. And that was my first tournament. So it was like, welcome to yeah, international hockey. <laughs> no, that's, it's true. It's a big rivalry and it's been going on forever. And uh, even in my first Champions Trophy that I played, that which was 10 years before that, in 2000 or 2005 in in Chennai, also in India, uh, there was this uh, uh, amazing game. I, I, I think it was 6-5 in the end for, for Pakistan. And that was my first experience with, with like that rivalry derby hockey game. And that was also crazy. So it's been going on forever. But to say the least, the players are pretty fine mm. with, with each other. So um, mm. uh, in the first season of the Hockey India League, we when I still played for Ranchi or... Uh, we had two Pakistani players on the squad that should have played with us, and then and then during that year there was this this uh, execution of a couple of Indians close to the border. So then uh, the people went crazy for the Pakistan players in Mumbai. They even attacked the changing rooms and tried to get to the Pakistani players. So that's when the uh, Hockey India League decided that overnight all the Pakistani players should leave the country and couldn't play and uh, I remember that the Indians were really upset about it because um, so they have they struggle amongst their countries obviously but not so much about the, uh, amongst the players they're actually pretty fine there mm, mm. I remember there was a story because Rick Charlesworth was coaching the I think it was the Mumbai team right Mumbai. and yeah. was GT was Glenn in the change room at the time yeah. yeah yeah that was crazy and people were coming into the change room and and trying to like yeah. point point out guys who were Pakistani and I don't know what would have happened, but that was that's that's just mental. Um, anyway, I'm interested in what you said about the the way that people back home were really expecting big things of you at Champions Trophy because the World Cup 2004. There's kind of like this stigma around the German team where like some tournaments just don't really matter, and it's all about kind of winning the big ones. You know, like people talk about um, Germany popping up at the right time for the 2008. Olympics and the 2012 Olympics and so on and so forth and it's always about peaking at the right time and in between that it's it, there's a focus on study so like people like Christopher Zeller will go off and study his law degree or whatever for a couple of years and 
I'm not sure about you, but people come back at the right time. It's interesting you say that there was a lot of um, pressure around that Champions Trophy tournament because of the World Cup. What does that kind of look like back home? Uh, well, so it, it was rather the pressure that we set ourselves. Not much, to be honest, no one's interested in the Champions Trophy here in Germany, <laughs> at least from the media perspective. It's like it's only the hockey community that knows about such a tournament, mm. unfortunately. Um, but it was rather, you know, the World Cup. I, I taught my PCL before the World Cup, so unfortunately I missed that tournament. Mm. And sitting in the crowd and watching the guys play and really not playing too bad, but exactly what you said, just not being, not not finishing on those last 2% that you need. So I remember the boys lost 1-0 to uh, Argentina and 1-0 to Holland in the group stages. And that was basically it. So they didn't qualify for semis. And then, um, and then I think they had a really bad game against Belgium for fifth and sixth or something. Um, so, yeah, that was a disappointment, not making the semifinals for first time in, I, I don't even remember when it, we didn't make it before that. So, um, uh, yeah, that was a really big disappointment. And then we, we, we decided, or the team decided, that we're not going with the first team to the to the Champions Trophy. So they said, okay, uh, we're not taking the senior squad because um, we don't want to focus on that. We don't want this to be um, uh, a focus for this year. Uh, we're focusing completely on the Europeans to qualify for the Olympics and uh, for Champions Trophy. It's fine. We just take a B squad, basically. Mm. And then, um, yeah, so they, they ask who would be available and who wants to play. And uh, it was 2014, so it was basically during that time when Hockey India League was going on. So um, I, and I, I, I didn't play the World Cup, so I wanted to go back out there and play. So I, I told the coach that, that, he, that I want to play. And um, Toby Hauke, he, he wanted to play as well because he always yeah. wants to play. That's why he has more than a thousand caps probably already. <laughs> um, and uh, so we went and uh, also Linus Butt, another player who played the World Cup, he was going yeah. and, uh, and then we took only youngsters. So, but, so not, not only very new youngsters, so also guys like Christopher Rio, Mats Grambusch, they went, but they weren't very experienced during that time. It was basically the first or second major tournament after the World Cup. And, um, and that was, that's why I remember so much about that uh, tournament because um, we basically couldn't, had no chance to win it. So we lost all the three pool games, finished fourth of the group. Mm. Um, and then I don't know if you remember then that it was this quarterfinal rule that you had to, yeah. to, you know, even if you finished fourth, then you played the quarterfinal. And, um, and this was basically made for us because uh, we needed those three games to really understand what it was like on, on the world stage again. Mm. And we got our asses kicked by basically <laughs> everyone in that group. And then in the quarterfinal, we played um, uh, England because they finished first in the other group. And, and we knew that we can beat them because we could always beat them. And mm. uh, I don't even remember. We, we just lost one game in my entire career against them where, when it counted. And that was in the 09 uh, European Cup final. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, so, so we were very confident going into that game. And we had a... So, and this was what you were just saying. So we knew if we were on spot focused and concentrated that we had a chance in those KO games because they are just, I mean, 60 minutes and there's a winner at the end, you know, and it's only about those 60 minutes. Yeah. So we bet them 
very confidently, to be honest, two zero, and then and then played you guys. Had a really really good first half against you guys, being up three nil. Um, obviously, you guys coming back. We expected that, but we could fought our way through it to to uh, hold up to that win. And then, yeah, as I said, the final against Pakistan. And so, in the end, this was a strange tournament because we 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 lost as many games as we won in that tournament. <laughs> um, but in the end, we made we won the the more important ones. So finished winning uh, at the end of the tournament. I even remember. I think you guys only lost you lost less games than we did. I think you. Yeah. You you just. I don't even know if was, you lost another similar. game apart from us. So that, yeah, something like that. So I just remember that it was really, that, that quarterfinal rule was so stupid. But anyway, uh, in this tournament, it was good for us. Yeah, yeah, so, for sure. So yeah, we were happy about that. But to answer your question properly, uh, it is true. So we, we never, I mean, to every tournament we went, we, we in, before the, the tournament, we would say, okay, come on, we want to win it. Mm. or uh, we want to play well. But it is right that there's, and I think that's really important, there are these 5% that you need to go into such a tournament if you really want to win it. Mm. Otherwise, you find yourself in positions where you are not doing that last step and not going for that last inch and not sliding that tackle um, because you, in your, in the back of your mind, you're like, well, um, it's not the Olympics. It's not the World, Champ World Cup, you know? Yeah. So uh, that's definitely what that was something we were looking to. Uh, we were looking up to you guys and also Holland uh, teams that could crash, crash a team, being seven near seven nil up and then still going the last twenty minutes as if it was a, a draw at that time. Yeah, we we never did that. So we never won a game with more than I don't know three or four goals because mm. uh, for some reason <laughs> that was like okay, it's fine, we did it. So. Let's move on, and then we try to save some energy or whatever. Yeah, that's really interesting, actually, because um, often in Australian circles we talk about. I remember, especially through that period, um, often Germany is a team that that uh, we're looking at because of your success rate. But it's the opposite. We we talk about how to win close games, or um, instead of just kind of you know pressure, 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 foot on the throat, just scoring as many goals as you can, grinding out a close win. And I think a really good example of that yeah. was um, the 2008 final that you guys played in against Spain. I mean, you scored a goal in the first half, I think. Um, and then it was yeah. a 1-0 win in the end. Yeah, that's true. And that, it is... Well, there are two games, I recall, um, that, that were a little bit like that. Um, and they... It's interesting because people have different opinions about the game. So that was the first one. And Spain was had the best offense at that time mm. with uh, three amazing players up front, Paul Amat, Eduard Tubao and Santi Freja. They, the, yeah, three of the best forwards at that time playing in the same side. It was basically impossible to mark them over an entire game. <laughs> and, uh, but we tried and we did. And we had, with, luck is always a bit important part of winning a, an Olympic gold or a big tournament. So I, I remember them hitting the post twice, uh, even on a corner. Um, they had seven or eight corners that game. Um, yeah, but I mean, in the end, they didn't score. And we also hit the corner on another one, uh, the post on another attempt. But it was a tight game. And yeah, I think that was... That was definitely one of the strengths that we had the self-confidence. But also, you know, you know what's also part of that? I really believe that 
you guys and um, and the Dutch guys, because I know that's also only you guys thinking about that and um, and thinking about what do they do right by winning always winning those tight games during that era, right? Mm. That is also a big part of the success because it basically means what you say when you play when you play I don't know poker or or something like that. When you, that's the typical we got into their minds into mm. their head, you know, kind of mm. situation. So you're saying that you're saying that um, the fact that we think about that means that that's already a, a kind of win for Germany. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, that's what I'm saying. That's yeah. that's at least a percentage of the, yeah. the of the cake. That's a part of the cake that makes the success because it means that in the next in the during the next game when we play each other and and it's t and, and and it's a close game that thought will come up in your mind because mm. you thought about it before and you will definitely think oh fuck. Uh, when you're 2-0 up and we score a goal, you will be like, ah, fuck, hopefully it's not happening again. And that's, that's I think, from a... I, I, I studied psychology and, and that's, I think that's an important first step that not, that's not enough to win games, but it's, it's one little piece yeah. uh, of, of the cake, I think. And yeah, of that's the really puzzle. And, uh, and then on the other hand, uh, we had the self-confidence due to those years between, let's say, 2000 uh five six six and and um and 12 13 we had the self-confidence that we all also thought ourselves in tight games we don't have to worry so much we will find a way to, to still win it mm. and um and that mixture was already part of the of the story i guess Now, if you missed it last week, I spoke to the man they called the Tattooed Titan, ex-Kookaburra and striker extraordinaire, Kieran Govers. Here's a peek. I want to jump back to 2014 um, because that was, a, that was an unbelievable tournament. I want to talk about two things. I want to talk about that team, what made it so good, and I want to talk about, again, the one of the most famous goals, I'd say, probably played highlight on YouTube. Um, against GB, I'm pretty sure it was. Yep. Yeah, in the in the round game, I think it was. Um, yeah, about the goal, it was sort of, because I got, I think, I, don't, I can't remember who we were playing, maybe Spain, the game before, and I got absolutely roasted in the team. Like, you, one thing in a team meeting, if if you want a piece of advice, you do not want to be in a, in a clip. That's, <laughs> that's one thing you... The, because I'll tell you, like, there'll be the clips about this, but people look to see where they're in the clip first. <laughs> yeah. And um, the worst thing was, like, I was prime time centre of this clip. And I think it was Rob smashed the ball through the, I don't know, 30, 40 metres out and it went past the far post. And I was already walking off for half time because there's only like a couple, like, couple seconds left. And I got ripped a new one by uh, Rick in the team meeting. You keep playing until that whistle went. Blah, blah. Like, <laughs> then, um, but then. Yeah, because I was speaking to Henry Weir um, a couple of weeks ago about it as well, and and that so GT and I were called like Bash Brothers B one B two, and like sort of we normally played sort of majority of our hockey together and, like on the pitch, and I remember like I didn't really I didn't really see Nolsey had the ball, and someone was pushing GT, so I was like I'm gonna go and hit this guy too, so then I just I, I was walking up, then all of a sudden I just see Nolsey like finish his overhead like technique and I was like oh no and I'm just like I'm just hot-tailed back and like lucky Henry could sort of come with me and didn't follow me back and yeah and then um 
yeah, just tapped it in between the, uh, in the like in between my hands or something, and it went to the goal, and then I went over and jumped on Devo. So it sort of <laughs> that's how it sort of panned out because I wanted to go hit one of those GB plays. So then um, yeah, then it turned out into a, like a goal that's been played over YouTube over and over again. It's so good. There's plenty more where that came from. Make sure you check out episode 12 of the help side of Kieran Govers. Now, back to Mark. So the 2006 World Cup final was something that I've, I've seen as well. Um, and that, that was a little bit of a, a melt from the Aussies, I guess, in the sense that um, they were ahead, they were winning. And then um, you guys came back and Christopher Zeller again played incredibly well. And you would have been very young in that. Um, in that match, you would have been what twenty or twenty one or something. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. What are you? What are your memories of that game? Is that kind of the catalyst of it all? Yeah, hundred percent. I just wanted to say that. So, this to- that tournament was just like basically every other tournament um, we had. That was a very very hard tournament for us. We had uh, Korea, which who were amazing during that time. Um, in the group stages as well as Holland and Korea bad Holland in the very first game. So we had a really tough, tough um, uh, group stage uh, with winning by one goal against GB and winning by one goal only uh, against India. And then, um, and then beat a t- drawing with Holland two two. And then in the last game we had to, a draw was enough against South Korea and I never had a game like that. So the <laughs> final result was 0-0. Zero, zero. No we way. We both made it to, this, to the semifinals. Crazy. So both of you yeah. were kind of playing for a draw. Basically. That's crazy. And we didn't. So we, we hit the post even during that game and we had a few chances, but they didn't want to win. During that times, you could smash the ball into the circle when you mm. were standing in front of the circle. Mm. Right? So that was still allowed. And Korea was unbelievable. They scored three goals against Holland when they won 3-2 in the first game of that World Cup. Uh, and it was three times a deflection with some of the guys. Kang was his name back then. Uh, he just smashed it into the circle and they had three or four suicide divers that were on the, on the posts. And they deflected them in. So they won 3-2. And, and against us, they didn't do that once in the entire game. Whenever they had a free in front of the circle, they would go back uh, to the back four and just pass it backwards. Yeah, that's so crazy. we knew they weren't they weren't trying to attack us because they were in the end afraid even if they would score a goal they were afraid that we would come back at them mm. and so what we did was we played it also very smoothly and that's why how we made it both to the semis and and Holland was out. Was there a uh, conversation so, about this, like at halftime or something? Yeah, was, the, was this it was spoken about? No, it, we were we were talking about the entire time, but we said. We're not doing anything on purpose. We just, let's see how it goes. Mm. And, but obviously the Dutch were furious and they, they were claiming. <laughs> and even the, even the stadium was in me and they booed at us. Oh, seriously? Us, uh, after the game. And then our coach, yeah, and our coach went in front of the media and said, guys, have to understand, we don't, we don't get why you're booing. We made the semifinals of the World Cup. If we would have lost, we would have been out. Mm. And that's how we made the semifinal now. So what's your problem? But mm. obviously, I mean, that game was a dirty one. So mm. no ch- chances no corners no goals mm. so people were furious yeah and that no, was but then that, the that, final, was that, that, that was a con that was in Mönchengladbach yeah 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 so then and then the final that was the game changer of it all because we um just after halftime uh Australia scored 3-1 um and uh I think Eglinton scored it I'm not 100% sure right now but um so they scored 3-1 and it was like okay 
25 minutes left. What can we do now? And then, and then we, and then something happened. I don't know what, I don't re even remember well what we didn't really change anything, but it just clicked and we were just going forward. We were not trying to uh, defend something that we couldn't win at that time. So we were going for it. And then uh, Christopher Zeller played that pass that I could deflect into, th which was the 3-2. And I remember running back and had goosebumps all over my body because the <laughs> crowd just erupted. Mm. And uh, yeah, so, and then the rest is kind of at least German hockey history. There was this goal which wouldn't be allowed today because mm. um, Jörn Emmerling hit it with the back of the, of the, the, the classic uh, <laughs> bow Argentinian backhand hit where you I'm, I'm overhit it basically and it bounced into the ground so nowadays it would be like a free hit out for sure mm. and then Christopher Zella who was also only 21 by that time no wow. 20 he was he was my just like me he was 20 by that time but he he played in that tournament he he was the designated world player of the year really? he scored eight field goals in that tournament and scored two goals in the final he was used it was unbelievable yeah. Um, yeah. So yeah, in the end, we won that game, uh, and it was crazy. And I, I, I remember J Jamie couldn't play for Australia, which was a big loss for them, um, for you guys. Uh, mm. So in the end, we were also a little bit lucky there. But yeah, I mean, that was that was crazy. That is nuts. When you have a player like Christopher Zeller on your team who is just playing that well, is there a conscious thought to just get the ball to him as much as you can, or he just kind of found his way into the game? Um, no, I wouldn't say it's not like in basketball. It's not so much like you have that go-to guy, but mm. of course, I mean, if you, if I play in midfield, if you're in midfield and you see a chance to pass the ball to someone like him, mm. uh, of course you're, you're giving him the ball. Mm. So, um, yeah, that, so I think it's a little bit of yes and no, mm. but, um, the concept wouldn't be, let's find a way to get him the ball. It's mm. rather like, you know, it is in the decision-making should be that, if you have a chance to give him the ball like 20 meters, 25 meters in front of the goal, that's where you need to give him the ball. Yeah, for sure. For sure. That's a really interesting point you raised about uh, not having to defend something that you didn't have, you know? Um, and we see that all the time playing games against each other. And I'm sure you would have it over in, in Germany as well, where teams are up by a couple of goals or two or three goals. Then they start playing their worst hockey of the, of the game. And the team who's behind often kind of, lift and pick up and and more often than not they'll come back and either win or tie the game um i'm talking to you as a as a someone who studied psychology i've just learned is there something in that what do you think switches in people when when that happens and how do you avoid that yeah i think it's it, it, i can try to give you an example because i think it, this is um about the the main point is the initiative mm. so what teams do wrong is that they give away the initiative that they worked so hard for mm -hmm. um, and that is something that makes you lose or not win games when you're when you were leading um, so I give you an example from something that's not so popular in Australia obviously which is indoor hockey mm -hmm. uh, in indoor hockey you have the because we play a lot obviously uh, you have this thing that you you could le lead in important games even by three or four goals and then some minutes before the end let's say 10 um, the team that is down by three goals would pull the goalkeeper and play 6v5, mm -hmm. right? And um, in, in eight of 10, 10 cases, the game gets tied after that, even with four goals in lead. So not necessarily always that team will win, but mm. it's 
usually eight out of 10 times it will end with a goal difference or maybe even a draw or something like that. Mm. So um, two years ago in my very last year, we never won the German championships before that. We decided <laughs> um, that whenever that happens, we also pull the goalkeeper and play 6v6. Because mm. we said, we're three goals up, so they must be, so we're better 5v5, obviously. So they have to beat us 6v6 now. And what happened was, it was funny because it was a little bit of a surprise also for most of the teams, but we didn't end up losing a single period of the game. So I'm not, I'm not talking about the game, but yeah. we didn't even lose a period of that game. Wow. So the period when we played 6v6, we won every single one or at least drew it. And that was because we still had the initiative that we had throughout the entire game. Hmm. So what happens usually is one team pulls the goalkeeper, the other team goes back and stands with five guys in front of their own circle, basically waiting for that other team to find, find a hole, a loophole to go through and then score a goal. Hmm. And, and that's a little bit what happens in field hockey as well uh, on the outdoors when when you're leading by two goals and you're trying to secure that win that you don't don't even have yet, then that means the other teams get the initiative. That means they get more self-confidence and and that makes it easier for, for them to maybe even even get back into that game. Mm. And the the solution, so which would be the next question, what is the solution here? And the solution is, of course, you have to go further uh, into focusing on defense and securing that win. But mm -hmm. not without, not but not by giving away the initiative. So not mm. by just flicking the ball over the other sideline and then waiting for the other team to attack and trying to defend that. But with smart offensive hockey, where you focus more on possession rather than on trying to find the big great ball and uh, to run a counter attack with eight guys. So uh, even especially in our sport, there are very smart ways in playing smart possession hockey. Mm. And um, I think that many teams are struggling with that. Uh, especially when they're trying to to uh, to um, not chase a game, but being ahead and trying to play that home. Mm. Um, yeah, that's interesting. Do you think it's easier to play possession hockey now? Obviously, a lot of teams have gone to. I think every international team plays a zone now. Um, do you think that make, that changes things? Changes the approach? Well, I'm not sure, and I'm I'm not I'm honestly not a really real big fan of that. What you were just saying, because um, I think it's very important to to be able to do that well. But I think that it, to, to really win the big thing, you, you will in the future need to have at least another system that you can really quickly adapt to. Mm. Because the coaches and also the experienced players, they are just too good to read games uh, and to play through it. I, I, I know that a few, couple of teams have struggled, especially in Europe, because um, obviously we, I, uh, you guys only meet most of the teams every two years. I'm not talking about the pro league now. I'm talking about like the big tournaments over two weeks. Yeah. Um, so, but in Europe, I saw, for example, teams like Belgium uh, winning games because uh, uh, the Dutch and the Germans and also the, the 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 British guys they couldn't find their way through their zonal defense. Which and there is a way through there, but it's difficult, and you need probably that passing game that that you need to go through the, such a, such a well-played zone of defense like yours, by the way, as well. And, but there are holes there where you can go through. And I think that most teams struggled, especially offensively over the last couple of years to, to, to beat those good zonal defense mm. defenses. But yeah. um, that's what I mean. But I think even, even in the, so 
I mean, it's fun to talk about past games, but so even about probably the best <laughs> game I ever played in with a team in my entire career was the 2012 semi-final against Australia. Mm. And uh, the, the, such an amazing zonal defense and uh, the way they played that tournament scoring 43 goals until that time uh, was crazy. But we basically um, just did a new setup. That's when we invented the five in the back build-up and uh, with two centers. And suddenly we found a way to let the ball run because there was no way for us to run more or faster than the Australians. So we, the coach, before the game, the coach said, guys, we need to have the fittest player on our team. And that's none, none of you guys. That's the ball. <laughs> and we need to have it in our team for like most of the time. Mm. And, and it was crazy because in the end, the possession we had, we had a lot more possession in that game, but Australia had more chances. But most of the chances, I was talking about, about that with Rick Chartsworth like in, in two years after that game. And it was really funny because he had a completely different approach. So he said, oh, we, I don't know how we lost that game. And then he, he told me about statistics. He told me that they had, I don't know, let's say 22 shots on goal and we only had nine and we scored um, uh, four goals and they scored two. But I said, yeah, but the fun thing is we, we were looking at it from a completely different perspective. We said, yeah, you had 22 shots for, of, on goal, but you had 16 of those shots from a, from an angle of less than 10%. Mm. So we always, our goal was to defend them to the baseline. And they had a lot of shots from there with Max Weinhold just standing on the post and deflecting the ball to a long corner. Mm. And, um, and, and he, was, he was thinking about that when I said it because he, I think he didn't thought it, think about it before. And it was a really interesting conversation with him about that because we had completely different views on, on that game because we were happy with those 22 shots because mm. most of them were not dangerous. And, and that's basically what it's all about. Yeah, that's very interesting. I feel like it almost have an adverse effect having so many shots because you kind of start to build up this thing of we can't score, we can't get past them and that sort of thing. Do you reckon that's fair? Uh, it, it depends a little bit. I think that's especially when you have like really, really great chance, like 100% goal chance, you know, where you think, oh, I should have made that. But if you, I, and I watched that game a few times, it's not like there were so many chances where you would, you know, like go with your hand through your hair and say, fuck, how could you miss that? Hmm. It's rather like the chances were 50-50 or maybe even 40-60 from like really bad angle positions and... Um, so we weren't struggling. But I know what you mean. And of course, if that's the case, then that's, defi that's definitely definitely an important point. And what does it come down to? Because if you only had nine or eight shots a go and you guys won four, two. So that's a pretty yeah. high percentage. Like that's a, that's a high scoring percentage. Uh, what's in there? How do you prepare for that? How do you, like, is there a way you could guarantee that you were going to have a high percentage that game or things just fell your way? Um, well, so we scored two corners to start with. That's apart from the goal shots. Um, which were, I mean, one so I scored a corner. I was not a good corner flicker at that time. I think I kind of just surprised the. Uh, I think it was even. I think it was chartered, but I Burgers, don't know. Burgers, uh, I think. Not sure. Ah, Burgers. Okay. Uh, so um, I think I kind of surprised him because they didn't expect me to flick. I didn't flick a corner in the entire tournament before mm. that. So I think they thought I would probably play to some of the other guys to deflect it or maybe even play this ninety degrees corner or whatever. Um, so I just flicked the bottom left, not a hard shot. So that was lucky and, or maybe not lucky, but at least efficient. And then they played, the guys played a really amazing corner with Christopher Zeller, um, not looking at the ball when he picked it up, only looking at the runners. And then 
putting it to Timo West on the 90 degrees, which was something that the Aussies definitely expected because we played it so much during that year. But he, he made that fake just perfectly and so Timo could flick it in. Um, yeah, and apart from that, we had a few good chances. I think we scored the best goal, one of the best goals in world hockey that wasn't given when Oscar Dicke mm, that was amazing. Uh, took that flick pass and uh, it was not given because of uh, stick above the shoulder, which they changed immediately yeah. after that tournament, yeah. which was stupid. But uh, no, I, I think it was a, I think that was a deserved win, to be honest. And mm. I was always very honest about not winning ugly and stuff. I really don't care about winning ugly, by the way. It's, I just care about winning. But um, that was a, that was a well-deserved win in the end. And, and it was the, the most important step for us. Uh, to the 2012 Olympics. Yeah, that was um, that was a pretty amazing game. I remember watching that and just kind of my heart sinking because I was I would have been maybe 16 or 17, maybe younger at the time, and just my heart sinking because you could just see the German team just start to roll over the top. And when that goal um, was disallowed, I mean there was a little bit of there was a massive sense of relief, but it never really went away. It just looked like um, you guys were so far in control. I want to talk a little bit about, uh, you said that you weren't a great flicker in those days. And I remember talking to you, you probably, I don't know if you remember this, but we were in India. Um, You said that it was something that you picked up later in your career. And from memory, it was because there was lack of a better option. Like it was just kind of forced to, you were forced to pick up flicking because there was no one else really there who was doing it. Is that, do I remember that correctly? Yeah, that's true. So that was uh, uh, in our club in, in Hamburg where I play as well as uh, in the national team. It was a little bit like we, so we always had Christopher, but Christopher is a, is a, he's a character. So he was never, he was, I would say, I would really say he was maybe the best player in the world during that time. And no offense, Jamie or turn. Uh, but uh, if Christopher would have like forced it the way others did, then he would have, he would have got mm. that award like five or six times as well. Um, but he could never, I don't know why, but he could never really force himself to do a little bit more. And he was, he was is the most talented player in the world, but he never did much apart from that. So um, that's why he only has 150 caps or something like that. So not even half of what I have, although he played for a much longer period and was the much more talented player. So, um, but yeah, so he was out for many tournaments during that time. He had some injuries. Sometimes he didn't feel like playing. He just didn't want to. So, um, yeah, and that was when, when, I, when I started to flick because I also liked it. I, I thought it was a really cool thing to flick corners. And um, yeah, I always tried to make it as good as I can, but I was never, I was never really good corner flicker. But I think in the end, I got quite successful because I found a way to make it as efficient as possible without having the hardest flick in, in the in international hockey. Mm. Yeah. I remember especially that HIL season, you scored, as you said, 11 flicks. But to be fair, not many of them were kind of like pinned top corners or um, somewhere <laughs> like Payat. Like you, you just don't flick like him or, or Govers. But they just went in, you know? Like, I don't know. They were often, the keeper just missed the ball. That's what it looked like. I don't really know. How do you, how do you yeah. explain your... You, you, drag flicking mantra well because it's effective as you say you scored heaps of goals yeah yeah so especially during that hil season but also in the 2016 olympics before that um I, i also scored eight goals there i think it's like i was only focusing on on the 
on the fake. How, do you say that fake? Mm, on yeah, the, deception. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So I was trying to pull the ball to the left and then open up my wrist to pretend to flick it to the right and then pulling it back to the left. So to get the goalkeeper on the wrong foot, and then or the other way around to pull it to the right and then. Uh, and then releasing it also to the right because most of the goalkeepers think that when you someone pulls it to the right, they are trying to do that swoosh to the left. Then. And so I was only looking at that and trying to get the goalkeeper on the wrong foot. I don't even think I, you were just saying I, I never put some a ball top left or top right corner like Gonzalo's doing it. I don't even recall that I flicked the ball higher than the backboard. Yeah, I don't think that so. so. I reckon it even um, bounced before it went over the line a couple of times. <laughs> couple of that's time. possible, yeah. Yeah, that's definitely possible, yeah. No, that was, yeah, I, I mean, you find, you find your way. I In the German Bundesliga, I, I scored 30 goals that season with that flick. So, mm. it's obviously, it was hard for goalkeepers to, to see it coming. I don't know. Maybe that mm. was the... But I was working a lot on that... On that um, as you, what was the nice word? Deception on the mm. pickup of the ball and how yeah, you, yeah. what you do with your hands and your feet to, and also your hip to um, pretend something that you're not doing in the end. Yeah, okay. That's, that's interesting. I'm sure a lot of people will be listening to that with interest. That's it for part A. See you soon for part B of the Help Side with Moritz First Start, where we talk ACLs, leadership, and retirement. That's it for another episode of The Help Side. Special thanks to my production team of David Moore and Tim Collier, plus countless others working behind the scenes to get this to you. You're the real MVPs. Again, if you're liking the show, please like, subscribe, you know the drill, and get in touch with us via our socials. We would love to hear from you. Anyway, that's all, folks. See you next week.